Welcome to FI Talk, your go-to podcast for all things related to achieving financial freedom in Canada. Here's your hosts, Tom and Brandon. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week of FI Talk. Brandon and Tom here. Today, we're going to do a deep dive into credit, why it matters to you, how to improve your credit score, and some tips and tricks we've learned along the way by helping our mortgage clients. Absolutely. So why don't we start out by outlining the different types of uh, really the things that matter in terms of your credit and what builds it up and has you getting a healthy credit score. Because what we're seeing on our end is, you know, things are more expensive, people are accumulating more debt, and it's really affecting their credit score, their credit history, which in turn affects them getting approved for a mortgage and other finance inquiries in the future. So uh, why don't we start out with utilization? So Brandon, why don't you give us a quick overview of what utilization is and how borrowers can uh, really optimize the best utilization to improve their score? For sure. So utilization is one of those words that confuses a lot of people. Simplifying it, it's just how much of your credit you're using. So let's say Tom has a credit card with a limit of $1,000 a month. The utilization is how much he spends that month. So Ideally, you want to keep your utilization below 30%. So if $1,000, it would be $300 spent. If you have to buy something that's $500, immediately make a payment to it and bring that usage down. Another tip there is to increase the size of available credit. So if Tom goes to his bank and he says, hey, I want to improve my credit score by fixing my utilization. Instead of a $1,000 limit, can you increase my limit to 2000 Now he can spend that $300 a month and he's still well below the utilization. It looks very good to the creditors. Yeah. And a a good tip there is anytime the bank offers you something, usually you should take it. That's not for everything, but if they're coming to you and they're saying, Hey, uh, we have good news. We're offering you an increase to your uh, line of credit limit. For example, just take it. There's no, there's no harm unless you're a really bad spender and you're worried about actually using up all of that limit, then there is no harm in doing it because you're not using the amount of limit that you're given there. It's just sitting there and it helps with that utilization because the lower the utilization is, the lower the percentage of that total overall limit, the better it is for your credit score. Exactly. And and like Tom said, there's no harm in taking that. Just double check they're not switching you into a different paid product or issuing you a new card because that takes us to our next piece, which is the length of credit. So the amount of time you hold a credit card or you hold a different type of line of credit or or loan is going to impact your credit score. So you don't wanna cancel some of those old credit cards even if you're not using them. If they're free ones, for example, like a good example of this is a PC MasterCard, it's free. You get like grocery credit for it. A lot of people open it as their first credit card but then they buy a house or they get different things and they're like, Oh, I'll get an Amex. Now I'll get this because I want the travel rewards. Don't cancel that credit card. You set up when you're 18, there's a value to having the length of credit. Yeah. hundred percent. And that's like one of the biggest common uh, things or issues or problems that I see from borrowers coming to us is that they really like to keep things clean. And I'm of the same nature, like naturally, I would rather just deal with one, two or three different credit cards and that's it and not have any more. But if you're not using it and there's no fee on it, just let it sit there. Don't forget about it, obviously, uh, but just make sure that there's no monthly fees on it because sometimes that catches up to borrowers where they think that it's a no fee 
uh, credit card. And then two, three years later, they realize, crap, there's an outstanding balance on it that's in the negative and I haven't been paying it. So that's a big problem there. But overall, uh, general rule of thumb, just keep them open and make sure that the balance is at zero dollars. Yeah. And if you're parking any of these cards to like a desk drawer or, you know, filing it away somewhere, just make sure you don't have any subscriptions set up to this. I had one recently where I, I bought something on Amazon and then I looked back at the card and I was like, oh, it has like a $20 charge on it because it was tied into a, a parked credit card. It didn't matter. I still saw it on my like overview in time, but that could kind of catch you and bite you in the butt because payment history is very important as well. And that's the third area to focus on. Yeah, exactly. And then that kind of leads us into the next topic, which is sources. So another thing I see for thin credit histories on borrowers is the fact that they only have maybe one or two different sources on their credit history. So what do I mean by sources? It really just means that the variety of credit that you have. So for example, credit card, line of credit, secured line of credit, mortgage, car payment, those are all different varieties and sources for your credit. And the more you have, the better. Um, you know, when you're first starting out, you're probably only going to have a credit card, maybe an unsecured line of credit, maybe a car payment. Um, but until you start establishing that and you're a bit older and you can buy a house, then yes, then you'll get your mortgage, your secure line of credit. So the key to this is keep the sources open, a wide variety of them. And whenever you are eligible for, let's just say an unsecured line of credit, go ahead, take that unsecured line of credit, start using it, even if you don't need to use it. And let's just say you have a limit of 5,000 and you're out there, you're purchasing something for like even $100, just use it and pay it off right away just so you can get that payment history going on it as well. For sure. And those unsecured line of credits, they're a good security to have if ever one month you're a little bit strapped on cash to just take that unsecured line of credit and pay off the credit card balance because the interest rate, and we touched on this last episode, is going to be significantly lower than it is going to be on the credit card. So it's kind of a fail-safe way there. You don't want to be relying on it. But if you're ever in a position where you're like, crap, I don't have enough to pay off my credit card in full, use your line of credit instead. Um, that's another tip and trick to use is a lot of people just make the minimum payments on the credit card. You're going to get killed by the compounding effect yeah. on that 20% interest rate. Better to pay it in full is, is the best way, honestly, if you can. And if you can't use, if you can't pay it in full, then use that line of credit and dump it on there. Yeah, because there's going to be huge interest difference between the two. I mean, we touched on this, I think, in the last episode or two episodes ago, where we were talking about an unsecured line of credit interest rate versus a credit card. Like credit cards, you're looking at like 20% versus unsecured right now, probably around 11, 12%. Um, yeah. So there's a big difference there. Just general rule of thumb of that is go with the path, path of least resistance with the lowest interest. So if you have that credit card debt sitting there, try to get rid of it as best as possible by going down the property ladder with the lowest interest. Yeah, exactly. And if you I'm find, property ladder. <laughs> don't go down the property ladder. Yeah. Property. If you find you're overspending on credit cards all the time as well, that might be an indicator to not bring your credit card out with you everywhere. Sometimes if you're going to like a high trigger environment, like, you know, you're going to the bar with your buddies and you always like to pop bottles. I know some of you pop bottles. 
just bring your 120 bucks that you know that's going to get you your drinks for the night, your cover charge, and your poutine at the end of the night. You don't need to always be the guy making it rain. Uh, we all know Brandon's vice now, poutines. <laughs> drunk food. You know what? I'm actually more of a shawarma guy at the end of the night, but uh, I can get down. Okay. With some time you're transitioning away from it because you're you're now a runner, so you got to be a bit healthier. <laughs> Something <laughs> like that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and this is a bit off topic, but one thing that I would recommend doing, and it's not really for credit utilization, but to uh, really reap in the rewards is I've transitioned a while back. I was I had a lot of uh, pre-authorized payments on my actual checking account. So for things like my utilities and all that good stuff, I actually transitioned all of it to my one credit card, which has the best rewards on it. I pay an annual fee for it, but it's well worth it uh, because I use it so much that everything comes out of my one credit card. It's easier to manage. I know all of my payments are coming from there and I'm accumulating the points too. For me, I'm doing, I have a, a Scotia cashback card, whereas some people prefer the the Avion rewards, miles, all that good stuff. I would do some research on it, uh, see what card is best for you, whether you want to do a no fee or an annual fee to that. But yeah, that's a good tip is just amalgamate everything into one one card. For sure, for sure. And when, once you amalgamate, keep those other ones parked, like we mentioned before. Yes. But ramp up those points and get the best return on it. There's actually something that credit card companies hate, and I'm forgetting the exact term for what they, they call it, but basically you're... a deadbeat in the system because you never pay them interest you you use your credit card each month you always pay it in full so you reap the rewards of all their points but they don't ever get to earn off you and that's something that i have been proud of being my entire life as a credit card holder and i know it drives them crazy because they want that 20 percent interest oh 100 they do they hate us man i i am like i can say i've never paid any interest on my credit card and i just thought that was normal. Like, just don't pay the the interest on the credit card, man. Like, twenty percent. Screw that. Yeah. Um, so I hope I hope those listening, like, if that's like one key takeaway, just don't have bal- a balance sitting on the credit card. Exactly. Just try to be responsible with it. You know, some of those vices are hard to control. I know, and seasonality yeah. is another thing. Christmas shopping and whatnot. You're gonna have times where it, maybe it gets ahead of you. But it can become a very slippery slope because of the compounding effect of it. That debt will very quickly double. Oh, yeah. Big time. And, and I get it. Like some people, they need that that debt sitting there until they can uh, figure out a solution. Um, and if that's you and you do have a house and you have some equity in your house, go listen to one of our previous episodes where we talked about consolidating your high interest debt into something like your mortgage or secure line of credit. Because that can really alleviate some of your, your pain with cash flow and uh, debt. But before we go on to the next one, one last tip there on credit card points is one thing I also learned is uh, if you're good with spending and you're good at paying off your credit card, then this is a tip you can use. If you have, say, a cashback uh, credit card, you can go into a grocery store and let's just say you know you're going out to the LCBO, for example, and you're going to spend $50 on booze, then grab a gift card from the grocery store. Some cards are like a 3% cash back for groceries. So I don't do this all the time. I used to uh, because it's just a little tedious, but go into the grocery store, buy the gift cards because you get a higher percentage on cash back and then go use those gift cards right away for for the purchase in other stores. That's uh, that seems tedious to me, but (laughs) it is. But if you're doing for like, say, Christmas shopping and you know where you're going for all of the different gifts, 
go to the grocery store and buy all the gift cards because it could add up quite a bit. Yeah, that's a good tip. Yeah. Um, so touching on gift cards and different types of cards, it's important to note that not all credit sources are considered equal in the eyes of Equifax, TransUnion, lenders, etc. So you want to make sure that you have set up the foundation for success in which cards you're choosing. So something like a Visa debit, for instance, isn't as good as a regular Visa. Anything that has like a prepaid where you prepay the thousand and then pay it off or one of these like gift card types of MasterCard, they don't do anything to improve your credit score. Basically what you're doing with the credit score is the lender saying, okay, I'm giving you $10. Show me that you can pay it back. Okay, now I'm giving you $100. Show me that you can pay it back. And you're just going onwards and upwards that way until you're in a position where they're comfortable living, lending you millions of dollars to buy that investment portfolio. Yeah, no, that, that's great. It's a good tip. And um, I mean, if we're going to the extreme side of things and you've gotten yourself into some issues with credit, and let's just say you've gone the route of, uh, you have some outstanding collections in your name. So a collection is basically you've missed a bunch of payments on, let's just use a um, a credit card, for example. You've missed all of these payments and eventually it goes to this company who um, basically is like a third party that your credit card company has sent your name towards and you're, you have an outstanding collection that you have to pay. So if you don't, if you haven't paid that and you're looking to get a mortgage, you need to pay off that collection or, you know, even if you want to establish your credit and get it up, you can't have that collection just sitting there. You need to pay that off right away. That should be your primary focus. Uh, Brandon, maybe you can elaborate on that too. Uh, you've done more alternative mortgages in, in your past uh, than me. So maybe you can uh, elaborate further. Yeah, for sure. So when you have a collection, obviously it shows poor management in the eyes of the lender. So they're very hesitant, hesitant to give you more funds. There are lenders that will, they're called alternative lenders, but they need to see the collections paid off. If you own a home already and you have collections, you can refinance to pay those collections out, which is a great way to wipe the slate clean and start building from scratch. But if you don't own a home and you're like, I want a home, but I have collections, you need to prioritize paying those out. Once those are paid out, if you have 20% saved up, you can get an alternative mortgage. If you don't have 20% saved up, start. we'll start the clock from the day those are paid out. And it's a minimum of one year, but typically two years of, of um, well-managed credit between that payout and the purchase where you can get a mortgage from an A lender. So it takes a little bit of time. The other piece too is with that is for consumer proposals, there needs to be a bit of time there as well. And with bankruptcies, so I see a lot of people doing consumer proposals when the debt is not that high, where they should have just put that six to 12 months of actively focused on paying it out instead of taking the proposal option. Sometimes people are quick to jump the gun on the proposal and it's not always the best option for you. Unless you're in total dire straits, try to avoid doing that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And would you be able to describe the difference of consumer prop versus bankruptcy for, for the listeners? Yeah, so consumer proposal, you're basically going in, there's, I forget the term of what it's called, but basically you go in and they say, okay, here's the plan for how you're going to pay everyone back. Usually at this point, it's a combination of direct lenders, uh, 
people who have bought the debts and collections and you have a, a list and you say, okay, short of shelter costs here is how much funds are going to be allocated to it. There's a timeline to repayment and you have a minimum payment each month and you just pay them all out. Then you get a certificate of performance saying that you paid it all out. In the bankruptcy scenario, you're saying, I can't pay it out. There's no way I'm going to be able to pay it out. Uh, I'm walking away from all these debts. And in that scenario, you're not getting credit for, I, I believe it's seven years. So yeah, uh, you're basically you're basically saying, I throw in the towel, I quit. And it's, it's it, that should be a really desperate situation. Like, honestly, come talk to us if you're in that zone and you're feeling that way. Because there's quite often an easier way out than bankruptcy. Sometimes people feel like bankruptcy will just alleviate my pain now and I'll wait the seven years. Well, news for you, it's not just waiting seven years. There's there's further pain because lenders look at your credit report and they say, hey, there's there's a gap of, of seven years. Yeah, yeah. We're not an idiot. Like obviously yeah. something happened here. So yeah, exactly. So to another misconception or not misconception, but another thing that people always focus on when it comes to a mortgage is they they've always heard like 680 credit score of 680 is the, the cutoff for an A lender. Now, although it is kind of a, a general rule of thumb and lots of lenders like to see that credit score above 680, you can have other issues with your credit and it could be in the low sevens and the lender still might not accept it. And vice versa, if your credit score is lower than 680 and your credit's fine, you, you may have just not established enough of credit history and it's just below that 680, lenders will still, not always, but they, they can generally still accept you for, for an A lender uh, for their mortgage. And another thing that helps with that too is a cosigner. If you have a cosigner who, or even a guarantor who has a higher credit score that can go on title of the mortgage, specifically a cosigner, then that's gonna really help uh, with, with your getting approved for, for an A lender mortgage as well. For sure. And another piece to this, because I think this impacts a lot of people in Canada with how many people are immigrating here. When you come to Canada, you're not going to have established credit. And a lot of people feel like this stops them from getting into the housing market. Whereas what we need to see is we can show alternative sources of credit for if you're new to Canada. So what you want to do is focus on getting that one credit card right away and something like a phone bill. Make sure they're in your name, not in a family member's name, and be diligent with the payments. If we can show that 12-month history of proper payments, there's a good chance that you can get a mortgage without all of this established credit. Yeah, bang on. So to really round things out here, if you want to really just make it super simple, um, you know, without going into the details, just, hey, pay your, pay your things on your credit cards, pay all your debt on time, don't have too high of a balance on your utilization, have a good variety of sources there and just establish that history and your credit should be good at that point. Exactly. Make your payment on time. Simple rule of math, just keep it below 50%. I know 30% kind of throws people off. So keep it below 50%. Add a couple different sources. Don't just have one card, have another thing like a phone bill. Um, I don't want you to get auto loan, just to have a, a trade source, but just have something else in addition you want to have a minimum of two trade lines and make sure you're managing things properly that way. Yep. Bang on. All right. We'll round this episode out. Uh, next week we will be at you with another episode. If you can 
give us a like, subscribe, any whatever you're watching YouTube, give us a like, subscribe. If you're you know watching us or listening to us on the podcast, just give us a five star if you like our podcast. Okay, so that's it. Next week we will see you later. Awesome. Thanks everyone. Cheers. Cheers.